This is the Practical Teaching Tips Podcast. I am your host, Richard James Rogers, high school science and chemistry teacher and author of the award-winning book, The Quick Guide to Classroom Management. Hello everybody and welcome to today's episode of the Practical Teaching Tips podcast. Today's episode is very much um, off the cuff and unscripted. Uh, This is something I've um, decided to do today in a rather impromptu manner. I was um, just uh, walking around my local area, um, just getting outside to get some fresh air and a little bit of exercise um, after being stuck at home all day due to the the COVID-19 restrictions, work from home um, uh, safeguards that are in place at the moment. And as I was walking, I thought, well, what are, if I could distill all of my um, experiences and advice into just three things I could tell all teachers, the top three strategies for success as an educator, what would they be? Well, thinking about it, there are actually three key things that came to mind. And it's quite difficult to prioritize the three things because they are equally important, kind of. Um, But I thought it was important today to articulate these um, to you all because if I only had let's say 20, 30 minutes with a trainee teacher and I had to give them advice that would set them up for their whole career, then what exactly would I say? Well, I'm going to tell you now what it is. So rule number one is you've got to show the students that you're on their side, that you are someone who is aiming to help them. You're not someone who's there to punish them. You're not someone who's there to destroy their lives. You're not someone who's there to make life difficult for them. You're not someone who's there to be this overarching autocratic authority figure that they must obey at all costs. You are there to help them on their journey. Now, for some students, it can take a while for them to understand that, particularly if you're dealing with students who are disruptive or they come from maybe a rough background, or they've got a history of just being rebellious in school. It can take a while to connect with students like that. But over time, it does work. But how? How do you connect with students? How do you, how do you make students aware that you're on their side and you're not trying to sidetrack them or make their life difficult in any way? Um, well, basically, it comes down to one-to-one conversations on a regular basis. Um, this is something I advocate for a lot um, in my uh, in my blog posts, which you can find at richardjamesrogers.com. That's my blog for teachers, by the way. Hundreds of articles on there um, covering a wide range of different topics. So one-to-one conversations really do work wonders. Um, And they can be used to praise and encourage students. They can be used to discuss a piece of work that perhaps you're you're not too happy with, you're disappointed with. Um, 
but it's very important to invest that time in, first of all, getting to know your students. So showing a genuine interest in your students, finding out about their hobbies, finding out about their interests, finding, about, uh, finding out about their goals, their aspirations, their, um, their life outside of school and gathering that intelligence. And I, I talk often in my um, episodes here on this podcast and also in the blog posts and in my book for teachers, by the way, The Quick Guide to Classroom Management, about professional intelligence. And when we think about intelligence, this word, you know, we, we often um, are brought back to images of James Bond and MI5 and the KGB and things like this. Well, I'm not really talking about that kind of intelligence. But for a teacher, professional intelligence is really knowing your students really well. Even things like their birthdays and, you know, just knowing when a student's birthday is and then seeing that student on the corridor at break time and saying, oh, John, it's your birthday today, isn't it? Happy birthday. You know, just an interaction like that can really have a profound effect on a student. It can make a student aware that you care about them, you're genuinely interested in them, um, professionally interested in them, and it can make you seem approachable. And that essentially is what students need. They need to know that you're approachable, that you're someone they can talk to, and you're someone that um, you're someone that's going to help them. And I know that there's going to be teachers listening to this thinking, oh, come on, you're having a laugh. Do you know what kind of kids I deal with? I've been there. I've been there and I've dealt with really disruptive kids. I've dealt with kids from um, broken families, rough backgrounds, involved in gangs and so on. And I've always been able to connect with even the most disruptive students by simply having those one-to-one conversations, being consistent getting to know the students and and also helping the student to articulate their own goals for the future and their own targets and helping them work towards those targets. So that essentially is rule number one. It's showing a general interest in your students and really convincing your students that you're on their side. You're not there to punish them. You're not there to make life difficult and whenever you are sanctioning a student or punishing a student the student needs to be made very aware of why that's happening and what the purpose of the sanction is and all too often unfortunately schools can make this process difficult for teachers I'm sorry to say because in too many schools the sanctions that are offered or that are a part of the system, don't address the original problem. So, for example, if a student hands in a homework late and the sanction is an automatic detention at lunchtime with the head of department, let's say, or maybe there's a rotor system where teachers supervise a detention, well, that detention has to be designed very carefully. If that's just a room where students sit and be quiet for 20 minutes, Well, there's not really a proper purpose to that other than to say, you've been bad, I'm taking 20 minutes of your time away. That's really a pointless sanction. If you're going to give a detention for 
a late homework, then that time should be used to complete that homework. And if the student completes it before the detention is given, then the, deten the detention should be wavered. So oftentimes, schools have sanction systems in place which don't help teachers, unfortunately, because they don't address the original problems that they're designed to solve. So there's an element of redesign needed on the part of some schools out there. But essentially, the only other, um, the only other obstacles to a teacher building rapport with students are going to be peer pressure from other students. The student's background, family history, life outside of school. And um, sometimes technology can be a barrier if you're trying to teach a lesson and the technology doesn't work and you haven't got a backup plan. And, you know, you can have days like that when things just go wrong and even the best of teachers would be challenged under those conditions. But essentially, if you've built up a good rapport with your students where they know that you are genuinely interested in them and you genuinely want the best for them, then that's going to help you to gain respect. And respect amongst the student body is a very real thing. And don't think it's not, because students talk to each other and they talk about their favourite teachers and they talk about who they respect and who they disrespect and who they dislike. And that kind of gossip amongst the students can actually be very very powerful and it's it's important to leverage that and I don't think there's enough discussion about this within the teaching profession as a whole but it's a very real issue that uh, teachers have to face on a daily basis so that's rule number one strike up a rapport and show students that you're genuinely interested in them and a great way to do that is through one-to-one -one conversations okay rule number two is be very thorough in your instruction when you're delivering lessons and the best way to do that is to plan every lesson very carefully now again a lot of teachers don't like it when I say this because it means investment of time on your part. But I can, I can promise you that time invested in lesson planning is always better than time invested in dealing with problems because you haven't planned lessons properly. Now, for me personally, what I do is every Sunday... I spend maybe an hour or two hours just planning my lessons for the week ahead, getting everything clear in my head, knowing what the students are going to do and when they're going to do it, what materials they'll need, which resources they'll need, which links on Google Classroom or external links they're going to need, and just really getting everything set up in my head and planned out. And that time invested in that really helps me to deliver better lessons than when I don't plan. And students notice that. When students turn up to your lessons and you're well prepared, you know what you're talking about, you've got resources ready, and you've got a general spark about you because you're more excited about the lesson because you've planned it properly yourself, all of that rubs off positively on the students. So that really is rule number two deliver thorough lessons and the best way to do that is to plan lessons 
very carefully. And the side effects of planning lessons carefully are that you're going to be more excited about the lesson yourself as a teacher. You're going to have more passion and you're going to know the material better and you're going to be able to plan for contingencies better when you've spent that time looking through the lessons for the week ahead than if you just do that on a daily basis and you're you're not spending that time really thinking about the lessons beforehand. And I can tell you now that good, thorough lesson planning is something that teachers need to do throughout their career. It is not just something you do on your PGCE or your teacher training course or in the first few years of teaching. It's something that teachers need to do all the time in order to be highly effective. It is true that you can recycle lesson plans from previous years, you can recycle resources, but even in those situations, you still need to look over things again, refresh your memory, and adapt your strategies for the classes that you have each year, and also for maybe new technologies that the school has implemented, or new systems that are in place. So that's very important, thorough lesson planning, and therefore deliver thorough lessons where your interest, your enthusiasm, and the spark within you is, is very apparent. Now, number three, the final tip I would give, if I could only give three tips to teachers, what's the final thing I would say? Um, I would say provide timely, thorough feedback to students. Now, this can be done in a variety of ways, but it's very important that the feedback is timely. In other words, the students are not waiting too long to get feedback and that the feedback is thorough. Now, what I'm not advocating for is spending entire weekends and school holidays, as I used to do as a, a newly qualified teacher, um, writing comments on student work in student notebooks on assignments and just spending hours and hours and hours um, scribbling comments with red pen or green pen or purple pen, whatever it is you use. I would suggest that that is a complete waste of time. It's inefficient and it's ineffective. I'll say that again. Writing comments by hand on every single piece of work is not only inefficient, but it's also ineffective. There are many more effective ways of providing feedback, all backed up by substantial research, that are going to save you time and are going to help you build up rapport with the students you teach. So some good techniques to think about are peer assessment and self-assessment. Remember, whenever you do peer assessment and self-assessment, the students are going to need the exact mark scheme to use to mark the work, or they're going to need a grading rubric of some form. And I would always advise that you share the mark scheme with the students. Don't just project it on your whiteboard, for example, or um, write the answers on the whiteboard, because what's going to happen when you do that is... You're going to have students putting their hand up left, right and centre, asking you questions and you're going to be verbally responding to that and it's, it's going to be quite chaotic. It's much better to just give every student the mark scheme and invite them to come to your desk one at a time so that um, you can answer their questions for them or walk around the room and go to each student one at a time and 
answer whatever questions they've got about the mark scheme. So very powerful. With peer and self-assessment, it's a good idea for vigilance to just take the work back in after the students have peer and self-assessed and just quickly glance over to make sure that no misconceptions have been picked up or um, the marking hasn't been too um, too light or not as strict. What I found is, is when you tell students that you're going to take in the work afterwards anyway to double check it, they are going to be more vigilant and strict and more careful when they're doing the peer and self-assessment anyway. So do that for sure. Peer assessment, self-assessment. Automated assessment is becoming bigger and bigger these days. There's software out there that will actually mark the student's work for them. You can even create tests now using Google Forms, which are multiple choice, and the, the Google Form will mark the test immediately after the student has submitted it. Um, there's also software like uh, MyIMaths and MyMaths for mathematics. There's Educake for science and humanities. There's Lexia Learning for English. There's all kinds of programs out there now. That There's Quizlets. There's Kahoots. Um, I'll put links to these in the episode description, by the way. Um, but there's all kinds of um, educational software now, some of which is free. Like, for example, Quizlet, which is free. Kahoot which is free, um, for example. And, and these things can really be used to provide instant quality feedback to students. So definitely check out automated assessment. And also check out live marking. Try doing live marking. Um, this is going to save you tons of time. And it was a real game changer when I, uh, when I started doing live marking. It's not perfect. But it's much better than taking home piles of books to mark every weekend. And what you basically do is you set the students on a task in class and you call the students to your desk one at a time and mark the work with the student in front of the student. Now that works really well when you've got a class of very compliant students. If you've got a class of students who are perhaps a bit more disruptive, there's low-level disruption going on, there's chatter going on, it might be better to walk around the class as the students are doing their work and then mark the work um, with the students in real time as they're doing it. And just by getting out that red pen, that green pen, whatever it is you're using, and just putting some written feedback on the student's work, you're really making the most efficient use of your time in class. Another thing that I will add to that is whenever you do live marking or you give verbal feedback to your students, get the students to actually write down what you've said so that they re-articulate the thought processes you've gone through and they've gone through. So for example, when I'm when I'm, uh, let's say I'm, I've got a, a piece of science work that a student is, is discussing with me, and let's say that um, I want the student to make their diagrams neater. So I'll say to the student, well, well done for making your diagram really large. That's really important because, you know, diagrams have to be visible to the reader. But 
it's really important that you use a ruler to draw your diagrams because um, diagrams need to be neat, they need to be clear. There is actually an international language of science that's, that's recognized and um, diagrams have to be drawn with a ruler so that scientists all around the world can recognize the apparatus that you've drawn. So that's really important. Now, so that would be my feedback. And then I would say to the student, please write down what I've just said. So write down Mr. Rogers said and write down what I said. Now, by doing that, by getting the student to write down what I've said, first of all, I'm saving my time because I don't have to write it. But second of all, the student has to actually think about what I've said in order to write it down. And in the process of thinking about what I've said, the student is going to remember what I've said for longer than if I just write a lengthy comment on that piece of work. And what you'll find, actually, you'll be surprised. You'll get students asking you again, Mr. Rogers, can you remind me what you just said, please? And you'll say it again, and it really does build good memory. And it also shows you that students can easily forget what you've said. So the, the process of getting students to actually write down what you've said is very important. And this is where I disagree with some of these so-called experts in education who've been out of the classroom for decades, I'm sorry to say. People like Ross Morrison McGill, for example, who's a big advocate for verbal feedback, but fails to mention that verbal feedback on its own is not enough to get the feedback to stick in the students' heads. You have to actually get the student to write down what you've said. You can't just sit with a student and say, well done, nice work, please make your diagram neater, please underline titles, um, please make sure you colour in the pH scale properly, and then leave it at that. That's not enough. The student has to actually be told and made to write down exactly what you've said because that way they have to remember what you've said, they have to process what you've said, particularly if English is an additional language for that student. And in that process, they're going to remember what you've said for longer. And then, of course, after the verbal feedback has been given, you have to then do the due diligence to check that the student has actually made the changes that you've told the student to make. And that is, guys, real advice from the classroom. I'm a teacher on the front lines here at an international school in Thailand. I use these techniques in my practice on a daily basis. I am not some lofty academic in some um, university somewhere trying to tell teachers what to do when I'm not in the classroom myself. I am not one of those people. Um, you can think of some names of people out there who do that. Um, Dylan William, for example, has not been in the classroom since the 1980s, right? Um, he has less teaching experience than I do. If you look at the, the years he was, he was an actual teacher in, in, uh, in schools. And yet this is a person who informs policy and um, is seen as a kind of guru of teaching. And yet he's providing tips and strategies which are not, which are not actually practical practical or actionable in the classroom and they're not realistic and it's about time that everyday teachers like me and probably the majority of the people listening to this spoke out and actually said no the academics are wrong this is what actually works in the classroom 
So a passionate plea from me, everybody. I hope those three tips are useful to you. Just to recap, I need to see if I can remember my own tips now. So number one was to show a genuine interest in your students and make sure your students know that you're on their side. Rule number two was to provide thorough lessons and the way you do that is through thorough lesson planning. And rule number three was to provide feedback in a timely, high-quality manner. And I've described some time-saving, efficient strategies by which you can do that. So thank you, everybody. I really hope that that was, that was a helpful episode today. Do feel free to share this if you think it's useful. Check out my books for teachers. I've written four books now. My most famous one is The Quick Guide to Classroom Management, 45 Secrets That All High School Teachers Need to Know. And that's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Abe Books, and at all good retailers. And also, please check out my subscribe star page as well. The link is in the description. I don't have any subscribers yet to subscribe star, um, but I'm hoping to grow at least a small group on there um, to have weekly um, video chats um, with teachers and just to bounce ideas off each other and for me to act as a bit of a consultant really to help to help teachers out there who, who need advice and it's only five dollars a month to join that subscribe star and for that you get a weekly video call with me you get um, an ebook a free ebook called um, effective classroom strategies for high school educators and you also get Get exclusive weekly audio that's only for my subscribe star um, subscribers and all of that is just five dollars a month so please do check that out the link is in the description of this episode thank you everybody um, enjoy teaching stay safe take care until next time bye bye <laughs>